0: Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the frontline. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we're gonna have another fantastic episode today. Today's guest is a ProSci Certified Change Practitioner and is currently the Change Management Specialist for Commercial Data and Analytics at Alcon. Please welcome to the show, Tiffany Caswell. Hello, Tiffany.
1: Hi, how are you, Justin?
0: Very well. Thank you so much for joining today and um, really looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today. Let's start off and uh, get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Okay.
1: I actually think there are two really big challenges. So I think the first is understanding the true problem that we're solving for, whether that's a process improvement or digital tools and solutions that we're offering um, our employees. And I think it's just that you really need to ensure that you get to the deep-rooted problem or question before just providing a solution. A really good example of that, and you've probably heard this before, um, is the Jefferson Memorial. They had an issue with Uh, it was a bird problem so there were lots of birds mingling around this Jefferson Memorial and it was causing um, unpleasant smells and unpleasant experience for the guests that would come there um, just because of all of the bird fecal matter and so they started trying to figure out how do we solve this so of course people thought of some really great solutions up front Um, you know we hire more workers to clean the bird poop or we use the existing workers and have them work overtime to clean this bird poop. You know, those solutions would have absolutely worked. But thankfully there were at least a few members on the board and the team that were trying to figure this out and said, "Well, why? But why are there so many birds here? Why do we have all these birds at Jefferson Memorial and not at some of the other, you know, sites?" And so they really started digging into that and really figuring it out um, and, you know, essentially kind of getting their hands dirty and really figuring out what was the reason that there were so many birds there and come to find out there were so many birds there because there were a lot of spiders there. So the birds were eating on the spiders. You know, if you have a buffet, of course, you're going to mingle in the area where you have a buffet,
0: Of course. Um,
1: but they didn't stop there. They didn't say, oh, okay, well, it's the spiders, So let's just kill all the spiders they said, well, why are there so many spiders here? And in the end, they realized that there were midges, um, these little insects that were gathering there at the Jefferson Memorial. And of course, the spiders were eating on the midges and the birds were eating on the spiders. And so then they said, okay, well, why are all these midges here? And they found out that because they were turning the lights on at the Jefferson Memorial one hour before dark, it was creating this perfect lighting for a particular activity that the midges liked to <laughs> have to reproduce. And so these midges are all gathering there because it was this perfect lighting and this perfect situation for them to have you know, to reproduce. So there's all these midges causing spiders, causing more birds. Um, so the end solution was simple, well, let's just turn the lights on when it gets dark. You know, don't turn them on so early. And it solved the problem. I'm sure it took a little bit of time, but it did eventually solve the problem. The midges stopped gathering there. Spiders weren't as interested. Therefore, the birds weren't as interested. So, you know, they could have easily solved it with that first solution, right? We either relocate the birds or we hire more workers to clean the bird poop. That probably would have solved the problem, but think about how much more money they would have spent Versus, they most likely saved money by not having the lights operating for that extra hour. So I think sometimes we want to just solve for for a problem or a, or get a quick solution, um, and sometimes we end up spending more money and more time and more resources, and it potentially solves the problem, but more of like a band-aid fix. So I think really digging deep and getting to the root of those questions uh, that are being asked and trying to truly understand what is it that we need to provide you to, to help you do your job better or, you know, improve this process. Uh, so I think that's the, the first challenge. Yeah. For the worker. So
0: just for the record I had never heard of that story before and oh, I'm totally yeah. fascinated that somehow <laughs> our government or the services provider that was responsible to solve this problem actually thought this through to the extent that you just described that's fascinating.
1: <laughs> yes. yes and and you know even one of the solutions being removing the birds that would have probably worked but then what would have happened right We'd, then we would have had an overrun of spiders and yep. you know I I'm more terrified of spiders than I am of You know, a bird pooping on me. um, You know, so there there could have been other solutions that would have, in turn, eventually probably found the original. Um, But yeah, they just kept digging and and found out. So that was great. Uh, I think the second biggest challenge for the deathless worker is rolling out those comprehensive and cohesive training plans. For example. With our field sales force, we have in the US, they're all over the country. So we've got them in New York and California and everywhere. So trying to have a few training sessions that are going to work with people in all these different time zones and different work uh, scenarios, it's a real challenge. Um, So we have several solutions that we utilize for that. Um, Sometimes we'll, depending on the the type of training required, we'll have our main trainer go to, they'll they'll break them up. uh, So our cells are broken up into regions and then into smaller districts. So sometimes they'll go and they'll train a district or a region at a time. Um, That works. That's a really good solution to do. Sometimes that puts a lot on our trainer. Um, So we've also developed what we call train the trainer. So our trainer will train individuals from each region or each district. And then those workers will go back and then train their other colleagues and their peers. Um, and that seems to work really well as, as well because then there are people within the region or the district that we consider a subject matter expert. So instead of you know 500 questions all being fielded to one trainer, they're also kind of being split up within their districts and regions. So that really helps a lot. Um, And, you know, we also do training videos a lot. Uh, We'll have, you know, the person who created the dashboard or, um, you know, the, the process or something like that, and they'll create a training video that we can then basically handout. We put them on a portal, a shared portal that all of our field sales has access to. Um, And so we have those opportunities. And then we have, usually we'll have job aids and FAQs and other resources that we'll also upload to those portals and provide them those links.
0: Okay. There are so many things that I want to go back and ask you about. This is why I can never make the show 30 minutes like I told you we were going to try to do today. Uh, There's so much for us to talk about. So let's see if we can get to a lot of this. Um, One thing, though, before I want to give everybody um, a little bit of your background. But before we get to that, I do have just one real quick question I wanted to clarify. When you talked about the challenge being about rolling out the the comprehensive training plans and and kind of going through all the, the process and procedure that you just went through, what do you think is the the pain point that your the learners or your users feel on the receiving end? Is, that, is Would they be saying that that's a problem that they face or is it just that you're aware that the training and the logistics of that and the challenges that you guys face when you're trying to deliver that to the users is a pain point for you or do you think it's also a pain point on the receiving end?
1: Actually, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, so obviously... From, you know, home office trying to execute and push out this training um, sometimes is a challenge, again, with everyone in their different time zones and things like that. And then I think sometimes on the receiving end, uh, depending on how that training is coming across, is everyone getting the same training? Um, so something we've kind of recently uh had on a project that I was working on, and I'm hoping that I can uh, kind of push this and advocate for more of doing it this way. We had, um, we have a a person on our team who does training design. So she created the, the training deck based on the job aids and the FAQs and the training videos and things like that, that we sent her. She created a training deck and then she also created a facilitator guide. And, Uh, that facilitator guide literally takes you slide by slide and tells you exactly what your talking points are, what you're talking through. Some of it is a literal script, word for word. Um, Some of it's just talking points or you know, links to the resource that you would pull up at that time, your FAQ document or whatever that may be. And that has really helped the training be more cohesive, especially in those train the trainer situations where we're training a group of people and then expecting them to go back to their peers and train them. Um, So I think that has helped a lot because there were some challenges in the past where, an employee would maybe say, you know, I don't, I still don't really understand this, um, and it it may have been a training problem, may not have been a training problem. Everyone learns at their own pace, um, yeah. but but we did find that in this particular case, that seemed to help. Um, I think another thing that's really helpful is sometimes we'll offer what we call office hours. It's an optional thing. We send the invite out to all of the impacted users and say, you know, on this date at this time, you know, for for an hour or two hours or whatever the case may be, we'll have a subject matter expert available. If you have additional questions or you wanna walk through a specific problem that you're having with the new tool, or you, you know, want to learn how to pull a specific report or something like that. Um, And so that has also seemed to really help as well, uh, the challenge from the deskless worker's perspective of maybe not feeling like they got that full comprehensive training.
0: Yeah, those are some great examples. Okay, I wanna come back to some of those things because um, uh, clearly you and your team have have really thought through some of these things really, really well. And I wanna let our audience, you know, hear a little bit more about those details, but let's let's tell everybody who they're listening to, um, give us a little bit about your background and uh, how you ended up in the role uh, that you did today.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I was working in our customer service group within our instrumentation group and a development role for communications for our field sales team came up. And so I knew that I needed to stretch myself. I was really comfortable in my position and decided, you know, I really need to grow and I really need to to take a challenge that um, is out of my comfort zone. So I took that development role. And as I was in that development role, we were starting to launch dashboards to our field cells, And it was something completely new and completely different because we were fully revamping everything that they understood and knew as a dashboard. So they had hired uh, Slalom, which is a third party um, change management organization. And so they tasked me with hey, we want you to work with these um, ladies from Slalom and kind of start learning it because we've only got them for a certain amount of time. And then when they leave, we need someone to to kind of help us with this. And in working with um, the ladies from Slalom and working on this project, I really kind of realized this is my niche. This is what I really wanna do. I really care a lot about people and I've just always had... um, just this i want to help people uh in my life and it just fit it just worked and i was like oh my gosh like why did i not know this was a career option so um that kind of turned into me asking if i could go and get my prosci certification and once i did that then they were able to create a role for me um within our group for uh, data and technology and doing the change management on that side so and then I'll be moving to our innovation hub which will be a little bit more uh, company encompassed and so I'm really looking forward to that I think that's going to open a lot more doors uh, within our company for me to help with some change management throughout other areas within the organization so
0: yeah Having gotten to know you a little bit uh, on our prep call leading up to today, the the personal aspect of what you just described, your empathy and just uh, caring about people doesn't surprise me at all. I'm curious, it, it also sounds like there are some technical aspects of your role. I'd just be curious about your technical background. We didn't explore that a lot when we first met and, and curious to understand how that fits into a lot of your transformation initiatives, which are based on you know new technology rollouts.
1: So I will be 100% honest with you. I am not an extremely technical savvy person. So it is funny to me sometimes that my title is with data and technology, um, because all of the people on my team for data and technology are so much smarter than I am. (laughs) And sometimes they'll have conversations that I'm sitting there thinking, what What are we talking about here? Um, But they've been really wonderful in helping me understand a lot more about Um, solutions such as Tableau for creating our uh, dashboards um, and helping me have a better understanding of how some of those things work. Um, We use Confluence sometimes, which is a web-based portal, and we can kind of track what everyone's involvement is with the Application. I can have my own page for change management, but anyone on my team can see that change management plan. If if adjustments need to be made, we can make adjustments on each other's pages and things like that. So um, that has it's been a, a true learning experience for me, um, as you know, I hadn't had a whole lot of experience with specific tools and and resources. Um, X is still a foreign language to me, and I'm just amazed when I walk past one of my colleagues' desks and see an X workflow on their computer and <laughs> I'm like nope still not going to be able to do that one but yeah. um so they use a lot of really amazing technologies and thankfully just rely on me for some of the change management pieces
0: it, it doesn't sound like you um, the, the way that you described your technical capabilities is as compared with some of your peers it doesn't actually sound like that is holding you back from being wildly successful and really the the core part of your job. And I, I almost wonder, as I was listening to you talk about that, I wonder if it puts you into a position to be uh, genuinely empathetic to the way that these messages might come across to your end users that you're trying to support. If you're having a difficult time, kind of really putting in layman's terms what the rest of the team is describing, that as you're trying to filter that messaging and think about how you would craft that messaging to, to your stakeholders, I, I would think that that would actually help maybe more than it hurts.
1: Yes, absolutely. There are definitely times where we may think, okay, is this is this really intuitive for a customer to to truly kind of just be able to do this on their own? Maybe we should still create a job aid or a training video just in case, um, because again, you know, these these people play in these environments. I shouldn't say play, but they work in yeah. these environments on a daily basis. And so sometimes something that seems so easy and so intuitive may may not in fact be. So we do always try to, whether it's myself or someone directly going to be impacted um, by the change to to go in and kind of play with it, or we'll create a job aid and ask someone who's never seen it before, hey, could you use this job aid to, to do this process? And how did that work for you? Do What do we need to add to this? Or what, Was too much or something like that. Um, And I think that's another really important thing to always do. Um, And thankfully, the teams that I work on, everyone is so collaborative and so willing to help each other. Um, I think that's probably one of the reasons that we've had success in the past is people that, um, you know, understand a little bit more, understand a little bit less, or they're always willing to help each other. But I think one of the really important things to do is always include at least a few of your impacted end users from the start of the project. Not only will you help answer those questions like we talked about initially, you're going to really help get to the root of of what needs to happen because you've got those people involved from the beginning. But then a huge win for the team that's launching this product or tool or process improvement, you've already got built-in advocates because they've been working with you along the way and they're going to be really excited about this tool because they've helped make it what it should be. And they're going to be able to go to their teammates and say, this is going to be amazing. Just wait, it's coming. We're going to get there. And so you, you kind of get that win-win where you're really going to deliver the solution that needs to be delivered, but you're also going to have those built-in advocates. So I think yeah. that's something that's really important that we do.
0: I think that that's a great suggestion uh, about bringing the users in from the start. And a couple of things come to mind as you were just describing that, that the first is you used used the word um, intuitive in, in that some people may find something intuitive while others may not. And it's interesting. I think you made me realize we often use the word intuitive as if it is somehow universal across all humans. Right. And that is just completely not true. (laughs) What what may be very intuitive to me, I may have some um, previous experience. And so when I come into this new digital experience, things may feel very intuitive to me because I may have had another experience that was very similar. And so things seem very logical and well laid out to me because of that background, where somebody else may look at that lacking that same experience. And to them, it may not be intuitive at all. And I Mm -hmm. guess that the goal should be to create digital experiences that kind of meet the the lowest common denominator of everybody's collective experiences. But the reality is, is that that just may not be practical and we may not have enough time for research and we may not invest enough in user experience for a lot of our enterprise applications. That's probably a whole other podcast conversation that we could have. Um, but but trying to baseline the intuitive nature of the user interface and things like that, um, it's, it's probably not accurate to assume that that's going to be the same for everybody. And so I, I loved how you kind of talked that through a little bit. Um, the other thing that you talked about was bringing in um, impacted end users from the start. And I was I was kind of visualizing the project team meetings as you're getting everybody together and bringing some of those folks in. And another thought came to my head is that I, I've been a part of those project teams and You know, when you're on a project team and you've been planning for a year or two years to roll out some new piece of technology, you pick up all of this jargon along the way, right? Maybe you're dealing with a vendor or several vendors that are helping to implement this. And so they have certain terminology and jargon and acronyms that they're using and all this stuff, right? And so the project team starts to to use that as part of the language of the project. And then when we go out to talk to the men and women who are going to be impacted, the, ultimately the users of this, they haven't been a part of that. They haven't pr- picked up that vernacular yet. They don't know this language that we're speaking. And uh, so it's, it's just really interesting. And I, I love when you know you talking about bringing in end users from the start, I think that those folks would help you identify like, hey, you're talking about some things that we don't understand. Like, what does that mean? You know, Do you see that as coming up as, as part of that process? It's not just looking at, here's the software, here's the change that we're looking to do. But do you find yourselves talking at all about the language that you're using with those folks?
1: Absolutely. Our company loves a good acronym. <laughs> and yeah. So they're everywhere. Um, so it's a, it's usually a running joke about, you know, what are we going to call this, but we got to make sure we can shorten it to an acronym that makes sense. Um, so definitely, and we, it's still a challenge. Absolutely. Cause as you're saying that I'm, thinking some of the projects I'm on, I'm like, hmm, you know, we should probably go back and revisit. Maybe we, maybe those things need to be uh, addressed a little bit more. But um, yes, yeah, so I think that's one of the biggest pieces of the communications is ensuring that if we use any kind of particular verbiage or an acronym or something like that, ensuring that it's spelled out in some of those early communications. And I'm all about repetitive communications. So, anytime I make a communications plan, you'll see a lot of the same content from the very first communication to the very last communication. And I know that sometimes people feel like that's overkill. Um, but I truly feel you could never communicate too many times. Um, I'll read an email from someone and then someone else will talk to me about that email and I'm wait, it said what? And I'll have to go back and look at the email. So, I think you know, we have to remember people aren't going to catch everything that's in a communication in the start. So you start small and you start kind of short and sweet, and then you start to build on that, but you continue to pull that short and sweet message along the way. Um, And hopefully that will help them with any of the vernacular craziness that (laughs) happens with all of our acronyms.
0: Yeah, that that does. Now, uh, you know, We can use that to our advantage. That's part of the change process, right? We may be changing processes and some of that terminology is important. I know internally at Skillful right now at our company, we just went through an internal exercise that lasted for several weeks. We're changing the names of some of um, the aspects of our system inside our software. And so we're even dealing with this internally in a much smaller organization than yours. But Uh, we've changed the names of certain things. So we used to refer to this thing as a campaign and now we're referring to them as assignments. And just watching our team trip over this as we're having meetings and we're trying to correct one another when somebody says campaign and we're reminding each other that no, those are called assignments now, right? And, and we're doing this to almost practice internally because we have to go out and communicate to our clients, our end users now about these, these new things. And so we're we're practicing essentially as a project team internally so that we can get our act together so that when we kind of go out into the wild and we're communicating with others who haven't been a part of that months-long planning process, right. that we can be more effective communicators with them. And if we start tripping over that and if we start intermingling the old phrase and the new phrase we're actually just going to inject you know more confusion rather than you know clarity
1: absolutely yeah that's a hard one to do
0: <laughs> yeah it is and, and you know we had something make it- that
1: you've always called and then you change it to something new that's that's always a challenge
0: but that's often what's happening you know in our case it's you know, uh, version X and now it's going to be version X plus one, you know, of, of our software solution. But a lot of times that's actually what's happening when we're going through digital transformation initiatives. We may be going from, you know, one type of CRM to another CRM or one work order management tool to another work order management tool, but some of the terminology may change. It may change because the vendor calls it something different now and, and you've, you know, kind of bought into that software platform. And so you're, you're going to start picking up that terminology. But I do think that that's part of, of the problem. is is in getting end users to engage in the software is that if we used to call it a work order and now we call it a job, when they go into the software and they look for that heading that says work order and they don't see it saying work order because now they're listed as jobs, that's going to be confusing. And Mm -hmm. something going back to the phrase that we said before, being intuitive, what may have seemed very intuitive to the project team, who knew because we made the decision two years ago that we were going to be changing this to job, <laughs> now when they're looking at the software, they're just like, "Where the heck are my work orders? How can I do my job if there's no work orders in here?" Right. So maybe that's a bad example, but I do think that stuff comes up every single day, and when we're also deeply uh, involved in the project that we can pick up things along the way and forget that the end users that we're asking to change haven't been a part of that conversation that whole time. Mm
1: -hmm. It's a really good point.
0: Yeah. So one thing that you said um, that I want to go back to, and it actually probably ties in a little bit with these types of challenges that we're talking about here. You talked about office hours. I want to go back to that. There are a few other Mm -hmm. things in in the training rollout that I I really want to talk through. Um, But you talked about office hours as a way to provide additional support for users who still had questions, maybe after some of the scheduled uh, you know, trainings and knowledge transfer had already taken place. Tell me a little bit more about that. First, my question is, how many people do you have showing up to these sessions? I, I imagine it varies depending on location or region and all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. it, do you feel like it's something that you put out there as an insurance policy that makes them feel more comfortable, or is it actually something that the end users are truly using um, I'm curious and, and not to say that either is bad. It, it may be just having it available is all you need to give them comfort. but I'm curious mm-hmm. to understand if folks are actually showing up for those sessions.
1: So um, in addition to the office hours we do always you know put a contact in communications and, and things like that so at any time they can reach out. Um, we've we've had a mix so uh, to be completely transparent we uh, had some office hours for a particular project. And not a soul showed up, yep. which was great because we were like, OK, well, maybe they've got it, you know, <laughs> maybe they've got it down. Um, and then we've had other projects that there have been some some people show up to the office hours. Um, it's, it's usually a handful of people, which personally, I think kind of makes it work well, because it is a smaller group of people who maybe aren't as technolo- you know, technology savvy. So maybe they just need a little more help with the technology occasionally you'll have someone that, you know, they love the data and they want to, you know, create this crazy report that has all these pieces to it. And so they want someone to help them with that. So you kind of get a mix of people, the people that just need kind of that refresher and, and one more time, show me how to, how to, you know, download this to Excel. Um, And then you'll also have those people that really want to dive in deep. So sometimes that can be a challenge as well, because you've got the people on there that are, you know, I just really need to ask this question about something crazy. I don't want to relearn this, but and then you've got the other people that are like, I don't know what you're doing. I just need to relearn how to click that button. Um, So sometimes that can be a challenge. Uh, But typically when those types of situations come up, uh, usually, the, the people that just need kind of the refresher will, will start with them. You know, if somebody asks a really crazy report question, we'll ask, you know, is there any, does anyone else have anything else before we dive into this? And some people will just do their quick thing and then hop off the call. And then you have the rest of the time with that person that wants that crazy, you know, report. So, but it can be a challenge sometimes that, you know, no one shows up and then unfortunately you've kind of wasted the, the trainer's time, but um but we, we always like to try to offer that just as like you mentioned, kind of that safety net in case there's someone that maybe wouldn't have reached out in any other case and just will, you know, have the time to to pop on and ask their questions.
0: So, yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And I, I do think that having it available is important in part of your communication, just to let them know that there is a safety net uh, for them as you described. And, um, if nothing else, I, I think we've realized just from my experiences and just further through this podcast and listening to all the stories of other folks like you that um, there is some just anxiety related to this, my ability to support this change that they're asking of me. Right. And so if I know that I have a few places that I can go for additional support, if um, you know, something doesn't go quite right, it's comforting. It may just be enough to get me over the hump and and be a little bit more open minded to the change. So I think that's fantastic. You, so a couple of other things that um, I I, I wanted to ask just in terms of this, like ongoing support aspect of this, do you think that there are any questions that go unasked? And, and the reason why I'm, I'm curious about that is I, I feel like sometimes when we hear these types of stories, there are circumstances when users think that they know what they need to know. And they try to go in and use the system that they're being asked to, to use. Mm-hmm. And they're making mistakes in the system, whether they know it or not. And I'm curious if that's the result of people not feeling comfortable asking questions. It sounds like you guys have this really, really thorough. So you have a, a few different options for them. But I'm curious if even after you've provided all of these initial training and knowledge transfer opportunities and then additional you know, support opportunities, if anything still is missed because they don't feel comfortable asking or they just don't know that they should be asking. I'm curious to just get your take on that. Mm-hmm.
1: I absolutely think that, that there are situations like that where either because maybe they're not as technology savvy as some of the other people on their team, they don't feel comfortable asking those questions. And we always hope that, like you mentioned, all the additional resources that we offer, that's direct contact to someone who can be of help, whether that's someone on their team or higher up the chain um, directly to corporate um, or having those office hours. So we're always hopeful that they're getting that. Um, and then I think you also have that other side of it with the people that are resistant to the change and um, just don't really care. And so they're just not going to ask the questions and they're just going to try to figure it out on their own and do their own thing. Um, that's a real challenge because it's it's really hard to, to break through to those people when you've kind of followed everything that you think you should follow to, to get people on board and get that desire. And truly teach them the knowledge. So um, in those cases, if it's, you know, just a really big problem um, it's not always like a retraining situation, but sometimes it's just kind of reaching out to the manager, you know, depending on what it is, if it's something that's having a negative effect, but potentially reaching out to the subject matter expert on their team and just saying, Hey, can you have a conversation with this person or potentially their manager if it's um, a really Deep <laughs> seated problem. Um, but thankfully, with our teams, we we don't have a whole lot of that. Um, we'll, you know, we'll typically have a little bit of it early on, like normal. It's a completely normal thing for people to be a little hesitant. Um, and then usually with our advocates and all the additional communications and um, the wonderful training that that people come up with from our training teams. Typically, it feels like we we kind of hit the mark, but um, I'm, I'm sure there's definitely moments where people don't feel comfortable asking questions, but hopefully with the other pieces, they'll, they'll come back around and ask that after.
0: Yeah, in one format or another. Yeah. So I've heard from some other um, folks in similar um, scenarios as yours that they've had a hard time evaluating the effectiveness of training on the front end and I'm, I'm curious, I want to start asking this question more on the podcast now so that we can all learn from that experience uh, or, or learn from the various experiences that we'll bring here together to talk about this. So my question for you is, do, do you have any way to measure the effectiveness of the training tools and things that you're doing today to essentially have some type of objective uh, assessment of their readiness? Um, with all of the mechanisms that you're putting in place today?
1: So, um, that's a really good question and a really, it is still a challenge. Um, I don't think that we have anything perfect. Um, we do usually try to survey, um, after, and we will always ask questions about the training and how we could have made that more effective. Um, and you know, we always leave those open-ended questions. I think that's a really important thing besides just putting some kind of scale out there. You want to offer that whether you do, you know, a logic with if they only answered, you know, poorly ask a question, but a lot of times we'll just leave it open-ended regardless of what scale they put and just ask that additional question, you know, what could we have done to make this better? Um, And we've gotten some really good recommendations from that that's kind of how we started with the office hours and things like that and even having um that train the trainer piece is some people recommended you know we really like it when we have you know the smaller training sessions so um a lot of the things that we've developed have kind of come out of some of these surveys so i think that's one of the best ways to to gain that knowledge Um, But I I think there's more ways that we could probably do that. I just wish that I had the answers for those.
0: Yeah. One of our customers at Skillful actually just surveyed um, hundreds of their field service technicians. And they shared some of the data with us. And it's absolutely fascinating. And to your exact point, the most important data came from the free text field where they said, do you have any other comments? And I believe, I didn't see the survey design, but I believe that that field was open to everybody regardless of, of their other selections. And it was a short survey. It was only five or six questions. But what drew our attention into the survey data was really the free text fields and just them. And I, I won't share all the details here. I want to ask for their permission before we start sharing their, their data about it. But it, it was absolutely fascinating to see how the field service technicians were Communicating about the way that they receive the change communication and about their access to systems and things like that, and what they were essentially asking for. It was absolutely fascinating. And so I agree with you completely that. I, they, I forget the percentage, but they had a, an unusually high percentage. I want to say it was thirty or forty percent of the people actually entered something in the optional free text field. So it was actually pretty rich data. Mm-hmm. And, and even though it wasn't just you know multiple choice, obviously because it was a free text field, but you started to see a lot of consistency in what the teams were really looking for. And so it's helping to inform that that team mm-hmm. about you know what they can be doing to to deliver better to their team. So I think the takeaway for for the listeners here is that that surveying process that you're talking about and what this other client of ours just did uh, is just incredibly important to gather that feedback. I think it brings the users into the process a little bit. And then to the point you made, which I agree with, leave that open text field in there because I think you'd be absolutely shocked at some of the things that come back from, you know, from the men and women in the field. The, 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 the thing that always blows my mind, especially when we're talking about frontline workers, is I, I think there's, we have a, a wrong stereotype of them that they just, uh, you know, they complain when we do these changes, you know, they're very resistant to change, right? And there's just, just um, that they're not as maybe self-aware and communicative as, okay. as other knowledge workers. And what's really interesting is that when we challenge our own assumption about that and we give them a form to communicate, all of a sudden you see this like completely different side of, of their personalities, which I think is fascinating. Yes. And it kind of proves the point, like, you know, frontline workers are people too, right?
1: right. So, Absolutely.
0: And, uh, and so when you open it up and give them a forum to communicate, you'd be really surprised at some of the things that, that you hear and, um, you know, why not let them tell you rather than making a bunch of assumptions? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We're coming up to the end. I'm already over my target, which I knew was going to happen just when you started the conversation. So, um, all right. But I I do want to ask you one last question before we go, what is the, the contribution that you've made as a professional? You've had a really interesting journey. You have, you know, I can just tell you put a lot of your heart into your role. What is the contribution that you've made that you are most proud of? Oh,
1: that is a really good question. Um, I think it would be helping, you know, in a project team, just trying to, to kind of keep that, you know, everyone's focused on the the bottom line and the deadline and all of those things. And so, I mean, as cliche as this is going to sound since I'm change management, but it's really trying to keep them people focused um, and helping them remember that we are going to impact people through this. Um, and I think even more than just the people that we're directly impacting, because I do think that for the most part, project teams do kind of keep them in mind to an extent, but it's also let's not forget the people downstream that this could potentially affect. Um, I think a lot of times that gets left out as well. You know, maybe it's not someone that's directly changing their process or a tool that's being directly used by another group. But if this other group potentially doesn't know about that, a question could come up, or you know something like that, and they're not going to have any clue. Um, you know, for example, if we're pushing a tool out to our customers, customer service doesn't technically use that tool. But if we don't tell customer service that that tool is available, and if a customer calls in and asks a question, um, you know, that customer service person may be on the phone with a customer and sound, you know, like they don't know anything, and to a customer if they call our company, they're not talking to just customer service or just their sales rep, they're talking to Alcon. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's something that we need to remember um, is that even though it doesn't seem like it would be a big deal that, you know, this group knows about this project or whatever that may be, we have to remember that from the outside perspective, we're all Alcon. And even though internally we see customer service and what customer service does and sales and what sales does and, you know, accounts receivable and what they do, we have to remember that from the outside perspective we're all Alcon. So anyone that would potentially need to be made aware of a change um, truly needs that so I think that's something that I hopefully bring to every project is just helping them really see that all encompassing potential impact and ensuring that, you know, even though it doesn't seem like it's a big deal to make those groups aware we probably should still do that because if someone were to contact them about this we need them to have that knowledge and not sound like they don't know what they're talking about so because yeah. i've actually had that happen for me before
0: yeah so, well i remember you sharing that story with me when yeah. we first uh, visited and so what what i think is really interesting about your answer and just in in the conversations that we've had now is that your uh sensitivity to the human element doesn't just extend to your internal users, but it, it, it goes beyond that even through to the customer experience for your company. And that's fantastic because ultimately that's a, a big thing that I think is really different about frontline workers in that they do, by definition, they are on the front lines of your business. And so they are speaking to your customers, whether it's somebody in customer service in a contact center or your sales reps or or other folks in the organization that are impacting the customer. Um, it is really important that that messaging so it is consistent. So part of it is just to satisfy the needs of your internal users so that they can be successful and the system rollout can be successful. But there's a definite implication to the overall customer experience. And it sounds like you bring uh, a lot of heart and uh, just a, a really deliberate thought process to that process. So thank you for sharing.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: That was really good. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to visit. This is really good. I do need to uh, wrap up the show. As I said, I was trying to get it to 30 minutes, but it hasn't actually happened, but we'll get there eventually. Um, so I am going to wrap it up there. So for all of our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And Remember, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at com. And We're always looking for new guests on the show. If you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. We're actually uh, specifically looking for some folks with Uh, learning technology background, so we've done a lot of shows with uh, change management professionals and we're going to continue to have those guests on our show. Uh, We're also looking to dig more specifically into uh, learning technology challenges around these uh, digital transformation problems with um, frontline workers. Um, So folks with instructional design background, learning technology background, we'd love to hear about it. If you or someone you know in the organization has that background, we'd love to hear about it and uh, get them on the show. And uh, that's it. So Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Justin. All right. Bye now.